Hey, we are uh, in a season, Reclaimed, and in Reclaimed, we're walking through the minor prophets, and if you thought last week was good, I'm trying to decide which one's my favorite. It's between probably this one and Jonah, um, but this is going to be a good one. So let's dive right in, okay? Hold on, first things first. It's Father's Day after all. Cheers, Ben. You're always looking out for me. All right. Joel 3, 17 through 21. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start where we should be finishing, okay? Because you have to have a picture of where we're gonna finish or else it's gonna be so depressing and so intense and so destructive throughout the book that you'll be like, man, is there any good coming from this message today? I promise you there is, and here it is in Joel 3, 17 through 21. He says, then you will know that I, the Lord, your God. Remember that. Then you will know. You are about to know something. We're going to walk through everything that's going to happen. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, live in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy forever, and foreign armies will never conquer her again. That's really good news. Because right now, contextually in this story, they are living under the rule and reign of foreign armies that have continued to smash them and destroy them. So God is saying, this will end soon. It would be like telling a Cowboys fan, one day you'll be in the playoffs again. <laughs> one day. Like, we don't know when that day is going to come, but hear of the Lord, one day. <laughs> okay. Verse 18 In that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk. Water will fill the streams of Judah, and a fountain will burst forth from the Lord's temple. Remember our Ezekiel 47 when we went through the Holy Spirit season, and there was a temple that flowed, there was a a stream that flowed out of the temple, and Jesus referenced that temple and said, you will have streams of living water, and if you drink from me, you will never thirst again. Another prophetic illustration that there is a stream coming that's going to fill you and satisfy you and nurture your soul, right? So he says, and a fountain will burst forth from the the Lord's temple, watering the arid valley of the Acacias. But Egypt will be a wasteland, and Edom will become a wilderness because they attacked the people of Judah and killed innocent people in their land. Again, another really, really good thing because right now Edom and Egypt were ruling over them. They were part of the neighboring foreign armies that partnered with Assyria and Babylon to reap total destruction. So he's saying one day they're going to be underneath your foot. But Judah will be filled with people forever, and Jerusalem will endure through all generations. I will pardon my people's crimes, which I have not yet pardoned. What a good word. And I, the Lord, will make my home in Jerusalem with my people. I'll show you what that means here in a minute. But uh, first, we are walking through, my goodness, is this the craziest season we've ever been through? I mean, the craziest, we have... Four kids in four different life stages, okay? Not just four kids, but four kids in four completely different life stages, and all four of them are extremely needy, okay? Which means, when was the last time we talked? I don't, I don't remember. It's just, it's kid after kid after kid after kid because they all want to do something different. They're all into something different. They're all in a different life stage and they're all pulling and pulling and pulling. So it's like, if I am not, you know, jumping on a trampoline with Zion, I'm playing basketball in the front yard with Canaan or I'm cleaning up after Zadok, his new thing is dumping everything out. 
does not matter, liquid, solid, toys, food, whatever, when he's done or when he wants some fun, it's just knock it, flip it right over, uh, everywhere, all the time. Doesn't matter what you do. Pop his hand, put him in timeout, pop his little booty, threaten his life, take away his toys. Doesn't matter. He's dumping it out. It's like his thing, right? He's got it. So, and then we have a baby, right? So every single one, different life stage, it's crazy. And yesterday was a day where, I mean, it was absolutely mad. At 9.43, I know the exact time when everyone was down. I had cleaned up the yard because we had this water slide in our neighbor's yard. and We had mud all over our, it was just, I, I got, we got everything done. I needed to study for a little, a little for the sermon. I walked inside. I looked at Anna. She looked at me and I said, are you ready to go to bed? And she said, babe, we haven't even talked today. And I was like, hi, <laughs> hey, yeah, I know. And she's like, well, do you want to do the dishes while I feed the baby? And I, was, I looked over, and there was just a mountain full of dishes in the sink. And I was like, okay, deal. Yeah, that sounds good. I walk over there. And then as I'm walking over there, she says, hey, by the way, uh, Aaron and Mike, my, my cousins, where are you at? Aaron and Mike, I, I, I know you guys watch from time to time. Thanks for adding to our life of chaos. She said, Aaron and Mike posted on Instagram, they're officially empty nesters. <laughs> I, I literally walked over to do the dishes and I was standing there and I was thinking about that and I was looking up at the light and I was singing, somewhere over the rainbow. Skies are blue, and all of the dreams you dare to dream will come true. And I thought one day, one day, in fact, I looked at Anna and I said, I don't know when it will be. <laughs> and I don't know if we'll both make it there. But I'm confident one day we will look at each other and say, We're empty nesters. <laughs> We made it, right? I, 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 don't, I, can't even, I can't even picture how that season's going to play out, and I see all of our empty nesters smiling and laughing. I know, it's coming. I receive, oh yeah, please rub it in. I can't wait to see you. You know, God bless all of you. Go serve in kids' ministry, why don't you, right? Um, I, I know the day is coming, but I have no idea when it will be. And there's a tension in between that, right? That's where the children of Israel are when they receive this prophecy from God by way of Joel. He is saying, there is a day that is coming. And right now, it may feel like it is lifetimes away. Hey, you may have come in here and your marriage may be in a place where you're saying, it is lifetimes away from the place we'll be happy again. You may be in here and your kids may be so off the rails that you're thinking it would take a miracle move of God to bring all of this back together. You may be in here personally and you may be saying to yourself, I don't even know what I'm doing in this place. I don't even know why I am here. I am so far from God and I am so messed up, screwed up, beaten up, tore up and everything else that I have no business being in God's house or being in God's presence. I have good news for you. Joel is saying this message is for you today. 
Today you're going to hear there will be a day. I don't know when that day will be, but there will be a day when the destruction is over, the hurt and the pain and everything that comes along with that is healed and restored and you are able to live a new life. That's the overview of the book of Joel. A day is coming. You need to remind yourself that. A day is coming. Say that with me. A day is coming. A day of your restoration is coming. A day of your healing is coming. A day of your soul being flooded with forgiveness to release the bitterness and release the anger and release the hurt that you've experienced in your past. A day is coming. In order to get there, we have to walk through three things. What are they? Number one, the case against rebellion the call to repentance and the covenant of restoration. That is our outline for the entire minor prophet season, okay? So uh, here's how we get there. If, you, if you're sitting there and you're saying, I feel like one of the Israelites listening to Joel's prophecy, a day is coming when all of this will be over, but I don't know when that is, and I feel stuck, and there's desolation around me, this is for you today. It's the case against rebellion. So watch Joel 1, 1 through 2. Here's how bad it was. Here's what God says about it. The Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in the land, in all your history has anything like this happened before. That's pretty intense, considering slavery in Egypt, exodus, wilderness, after the wilderness, Assyrian slash Babylonian takeover, destruction, burn their buildings to the ground, pile the skulls outside of the gates, destruction. And yet God says, has it ever been this bad? Have you ever experienced it this bad? So when we talk about destruction, this is low of the lows, right? God himself is saying, you ever been here before? This is bad. It doesn't get much worse than this. What follows is a dialogue of two chapters, chapter and a half, if you will, of a locust plague. And I want you to catch the metaphor of this. Scholars debate back and forth whether it was an actual locust plague or it was a metaphor God used. Doesn't matter. For us, the illustration and, and wording and imagery and story is the same. There is absolute destruction that has taken place. Listen to this. Joel 1, 11 through 16. Despair, all you farmers, wail, all you vine growers, weep because of the wheat and barley. All the crops of the field are ruined. The grapevines have dried up and the fig trees have withered. The pomegranate trees, palm trees, and apple trees, all the fruit trees have dried up. And the people's joy has dried up with them. Dress yourselves in burlap and weep, you priests. Wail, you who serve before the altar. Come spend the night in burlap, you ministers of my God. For there is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of your God. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into, my, into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. The day of the Lord is near, the day when destruction comes from the Almighty. How terrible that day will be. Our food disappears before our very eyes. No joyful celebrations are held in the house of God. Destruction and desolation touched 
everything. Listen, it touched the field, the grain, the vine, the olive tree, the wheat, the barley, the fig tree, the pomegranates, the palm tree, the apple tree, the priest, and the temple, and their worship experience. Saying, when you gather together to worship, you don't even have grain or wine to offer to God. You have nothing to bring before him. You have nothing but tears. There is no joy. In fact, there's not even celebration in the house of God. There is no life to your souls whatsoever. Everything experienced destruction. In fact, uh, here's a good uh, imagery for you. The language used to describe the destruction in the book of Joel in Hebrew is extremely violent. Listen to this. In verse 1-9, it says, no more. He talks about there will, there will be no more ahead of you. That literally means to be mutilated. It means to be cut off and to be mutilated. In, verses, in verse 10, it says you are, they are ruined, stripped bare, destroyed, shriveled, and gone. Ruined means violently, violently destroyed. To be stripped bare means a place of deep, deep mourning. To be destroyed, it's the same word as ruin, means to be violently destroyed. Shriveled means to die of thirst, and gone means to be weak and exhausted. So here's what he is saying. He's saying, you have been violently destroyed. You should be in a place of deep mourning, utterly violently destroyed. It's like you're dying of thirst and you are so weak and exhausted, you cannot move. In verse 11, he uses the word ruined. That means to kill. So he's saying, you are weak, worn out, destroyed, beat up, broken, and about to die. He uses all of the words again in verse 12. Joel was not writing about a locust plague. Joel was writing about a metaphor of the spiritual deadness of Israel. He is saying, you are so dead spiritually. It is like a herd of locusts came through and literally destroyed everything, so much so that you are ruined, you are destroyed, you are violently destroyed, you are mutilated, you are dying of thirst. He literally paints this story. Remember what God said, has it ever been this bad? Has it ever been this bad? Psalm 105, 34 is, is a prophecy of sorts of this time. He says, he spoke and hordes of locusts came. Young locusts beyond number, they ate up everything green in the land and destroyed all the crops in their field. So we have this picture of spiritual deadness. The Apostle Paul actually reaffirms this in Romans 5 verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. The Greek to Hebrew is the same word we spoke of for ruin. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is, same word, death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to see, when, when we talk about the case against rebellion, here is the case against rebellion. You have allowed rebellious destructive things to come into your life and they have overtaken everything and destroyed it to a place where you wake up and you have no joy, you have no hope, you have no excitement, and you have no life to your soul. I don't know about you, but I guess it's fire ant season. Like all of a sudden, how do they do that overnight? How do they do that? I, I promise you, a week ago, no fire ants. A couple days ago, I went to mow my yard, mounds everywhere, and I was mowing my yard in Crocs. <laughs> Says every person from Trinity, right? 
mowing my yard and some Crocs. <laughs> right? So I was mowing my yard and I was wearing Crocs. And as I was mowing, just casually enjoying the 117 degree weather, getting a good sweat in, self-propelled so I'm not paying much attention. And all of a sudden I step in something and then I'm just still rolling. And then you, you know how it's a slow burn? I know why they call them fireheads now, right? At first it's just like, ah, oh, that's uncomfortable. Like did I get a grass blade in there? Or and then I'm like, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And then it, it dawns on me, right? I know what I have and I, I let go of the mower and it shuts off and I look down and literally my crock is filled with, and I see them climbing out. I'm like, oh no, oh, and then it just catches fire, right? Is there anything worse? It is like torture. So I kick the crock off and I'm, I'm shaking my foot. And then all of a sudden when I, when I took the crock off, I got them on my hand. And so then they're, they're on my hand and they're like climbing up my arm. And I look like a Pentecostal who caught the Holy Ghost at a revival, right? <laughs> They're like, what is happening? I'm sure my neighbors thought I lost my mind, right? And at this point, I can't do, once they're on you, they're on you, right? Like you're in big, big trouble. So I'm like, the only thing I can do is get the hose. So I ran over, I got the hose, and I just start hosing myself off everywhere, right? Redneck shower all day long. I'm just hosing down my arm, hosing down my foot, finally got all these off, and there was just this, I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but they take over, right? And then I look at my yard, and I see these mounds everywhere. So I got that dust, you know, that white, stinky powder. Good night, Irene. I put it, I mean, just in mounds all over and watched them all just suffer, you know. They deserved it for what they did. But there is, there is something to the illustration that Joel is painting a picture of that we have to grasp about our rebellion. You realize that that little area of rebellion that you are hiding from God, hiding from your spouse, hiding from your family, hiding from your friends, and you've learned to self-medicate and self-cope with it, you realize it's not staying there, right? You realize it's not staying there. It's not something that you're just going to casually act like it doesn't exist, right? In fact, what you don't heal from will continue to hurt you. What you don't heal from will continue. That's, that is the illustration of the rebellion. If they're catching any imagery at all, here's what the children of Israel are catching. We allowed this to go on for too long. We had every warning after warning after warning, and yet we did nothing. And now we are covered in ants. Now everything's eaten by locusts. Now everything is destroyed. Are you ready for some good news? Are you ready for some good news? God doesn't leave us there. Isn't that good news? That God doesn't leave. I told you, if you came in here today and you feel destroyed, you feel like a child of Israel, you feel like an Israelite, you feel like a Jew living in this time where Joel's talking about, I've got great news for you. Here's what our Lord does. This is the call to repentance. And this is really cool. In Joel 2, 1 and Joel 2, 15, there are two times where a horn is blown. I'll read them to you. Joel 2, 1, sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. Raise the alarm on my holy mountain. Let, every, let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. Now let me read the second one. I'll tell you what they are. Joel 2, 15. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. 
Call the people together for a solemn assembly. There were two times when a priest blew a trumpet. One was when they were under attack, and two was when it was time to worship. So catch the imagery that God is giving here through a prophecy. He's saying, you better sound the alarm because you're in major trouble, but your rescue is on the way. It's time to worship. It's time to submit unto the Lord. And then here's where he goes, Joel 2, 12 through 17, the call to repentance. If you want to heal the destruction, here is your pathway. Hear me, listen to me now. If you want to heal the destruction, if you're sitting there saying, whew, call the rebellion, really read my mail. That's exactly where I'm at. Here is the path to healing. This is the path to restoration. Joel 2, 12 through 17. That's why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. What do I do? I give him my heart and I come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. How do I overcome the destruction? I give him my heart and I come to him with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Verse 13, I love this. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Don't tear your clothing, tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Let's stop right there. Unless you want to keep going? Should we? Nobody? Okay. Um, I love what he says when he, when he says, give me your hearts instead. He says, I don't want your outward expression. In fact, the tearing of clothes was a ceremonial expression that was done in Jewish circles to, to symbolize mourning, to symbolize brokenness, to symbolize repentance. But here is the problem. It became only an outward symbol and they never healed the internal. So they would, they would tear their clothes and they would put on this full display and they'd cover themselves in ashes and they'd tear their clothes and they would, they would walk around looking like they were mourning. The only problem was it was an outward display and not an inner transformation. It was a post on Instagram without doing the deep work. It was a night out with the girls because I need a break and never really healing the dysfunctional parts. It was a vacation for me time, or it was an Amazon shopping spree, or it was a new medication, or it was getting lost in the trenches of a new fantasy, or it was tickets to my favorite concert, or it was an overindulgence in desserts. It was this outward display that I'm hurting, this outward covering that I'm broken without ever stepping into the heart, without ever moving to the real place of pain. So when God says to them, because what was Jewish custom? Jewish custom was rip your clothes and make an offering unto the Lord. It was all exterior when it came to repenting and making amends with God. It was, I'm going to rip my clothes. I'm going to look like I'm mourning. I'm going to get some grain. I'm going to get some wine. I'm going to get a lamb. I'm going to get a dove. And I'm going to show up at the temple and I'm going to offer it to the Lord. And then I'm going to walk away and hope that my actions healed my brokenness. And yet, what does God say? This is so good. He says, don't tear your clothing in your grief. I'm not concerned with what you're posting. I'm not concerned with how well you're covering it up. 
I'm not concerned with how good you are at putting a smile on your face. I'm not concerned with how good you are that convincing the neighbors and the people you sit next to at church and the people you hang out with after church that you're A-OK and everything's wonderful and God bless, brother. I'm blessed and highly favored, right? He said, I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. Here's what I'm concerned about right here. This is what I'm concerned with you healing. What is the call to repentance? It is to step in and heal the heart. So I have a friend who uh, had a, a budget, he had a $10,000 budget, and he wanted to restore an old car. And he found this El Camino, that he, he had been wanting an El Camino forever. And so he got this El Camino, and he bought it for $2,500. And I, I went with him, he had a trailer, we loaded up on this trailer, took it back to his shop, and he got in his shop, and he instantly started working on it. I mean, just obsessed with it, right? And he redid the interior, he got new seats, he, got, he did a new paint job on it, he put a stereo system in it, he does all of this work. And I mean, spent a ton of money, he got new tires new wheels. This thing looked incredible and he didn't spend a dime on the engine. So then he has a mechanic come over and the mechanic came over and looked at it and said, man, this thing's a mess. And he's like, what, what do you mean it's a mess? Look at it. It's beautiful. And the mechanic said, it can be as beautiful as it wants, but it ain't going to roll down the road. That's, that's what God is saying to the children of Israel. You can be as beautiful as you want, but if you can't roll down the road to healing, if you can't get here, if you're stuck right here and you can't get here to the heart, he doesn't care. That's the pathway. So you're in here saying, I feel like I'm in destruction. Can you get to this place? Can you get to this space where the Lord can begin to heal you because here is the covenant of restoration? This is where it all comes together. So you'll see in the language of Joel, there is the day of Jehovah that is constantly being talked about, right? It's probably one of the main themes throughout the prophecy of the book of Joel. Joel 1 verse 15 says, the day of the Lord is near. Joel 2 verse 1 says, sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. Raise the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. Joel 2 verse 11. The Lord is at the head of the column. He leads, with, he leads them with a shout. This is the mighty army and, the follow, and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is awesome. Joel 2 31 says the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red. But that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. Joel 3 14 says thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision. There the day of the Lord will soon arrive. So there is this prophetic impending day of the Lord. And we have to understand this, and you'll see why here in a moment. This is not just a day of the Lord at the second coming. It is a already not yet, if you will. It is a prophecy of there is a day when Jehovah will show up, but then there is a day when he will show up and restore everything. I'll show it to you right here. So Joel 2, 28 through 32 gives us then the promise, all right? This is the covenant of restoration. Here's what God says. Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. 
in those days I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike, and I will cause wonders in the heavens on the earth, and blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. Verse 32, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. So then we get to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, it says that there was thunder and lightning. It was the Passover. It was a celebration of Pentecost. There was blood. There was offerings. And all of the sudden, like the sound of fire, the Holy Spirit falls and the church is formed, right? And right after that, Peter is preaching a sermon about what had happened. And he is contextualizing the move of God of what had happened and what that means for the start of the church. And here is what he says. In Acts 2, 14 through 21, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this, okay? Don't miss this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. So what are they seeing in this moment? Because it was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Here it is. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here is what Peter is saying. He's saying, what you are seeing are the days that Joel was prophesying. The healing, the restoration, the salvation, the transformation, everything that you've longed for, you've seen it right now. And this is what he's saying. That day is now. That day is now. That day will come in the second coming, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is the already, not yet. It is already here. He told them, what did you just see? It's not drunkenness. I'll tell you what it is. It's what Joel said it was. It's what Joel has been telling us for years, that a prophet would come and transformation would happen, and that day is now, here's the message from Joel. We started in the beginning with destruction, and we started with you and said, if you feel desolate, destroyed, or broken, or rebellious, or there's something in your heart that's causing you to run from the Lord, how do I get to that place of healing and restoration? What do I do tomorrow? That day is today. Pain was Israel's path to healing. Healing, the, the path to healing is through our pain. 
It's looking back and seeing the desolation, the problem, the rebellion, and knowing if I go there and heal that, I can walk into what God has for me. I know it's Father's Day. I know you thought I forgot. I just, we got to get Joel rolling. And now I'll, I'll tell you about Father's Day. I know Father's Day for some is a time of great celebration because some people had incredible dads. And then I know for others, it's a time of great mourning. It's a time of pain. It's a time of hurt. It's a time of confusion. For me, it was the latter. I've told you I've had a really rocky relationship with my dad. He passed away about five years ago, um, but I, six, seven, seven years ago now. But uh, I had a really, really hard relationship with my dad. And, and I'll tell you, that, that relationship, and many of you know my testimony, led me when I was a young kid, I was a rebel. My principal told me I was a rebel without a cause. He said, Luke, you're a great leader, but you're a rebel without a cause. If you ever figure out what's worth, thank you, Mr. Fleer. By the way, I don't know if you're still alive or not. You're probably 100 by now, but thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, he said, Luke, if you ever figure out what's worth leading for, you're going to be a great leader. But right now, you're a rebel without a cause. I expressed my pain with anger. That was the only release that I could come up with to process and, and express. My emotion was anger, and it led me to rebellion. So I was angry. I was rebellious. I, my coping mechanism was trouble. I just got into trouble all the time. Ask any of my teachers. Ask Mr. Fleer. I just got in trouble all the time, right? He and I had a great working relationship together. I, I gave him job security because without me, he wouldn't have had anyone to discipline, right? Um, and I did, and I didn't know what to do, and all of it revolved around pain from my father. All of it revolved around feeling like I had uh, that, that hole, that, that father-sized hole that should be filled with protection, that should be filled with love, that should be filled with comfort, that should be filled with hope, that should be filled with that boys that should be filled with cheering and pats on the back and, and someone in the stands cheering you on as you played and someone who showed up with you at father-son banquets and someone who showed up when you lettered in sports and was excited for you that was never there. Someone to play hide and seek with, someone to throw the ball with, someone to shoot with, right? Never there. I remember as a kid, I would stand in our driveway and I would shoot a basketball onto the roof and it would just roll down and I'd catch it. Shoot a basketball onto the roof, roll down and catch it. Shoot a basketball onto the roof, roll down and catch it. And I remember thinking one day, where's dad? Where's dad? And that place of pain, that place of desolation, that place where there was no joy, no hope, no life, no excitement was completely turned around when I heard a sermon. I remember my mom gave me a cassette tape, and it was a man, yes, cassette tape, right? <laughs> I still had those when I was a kid. Um, gave me a cassette tape, and it was Joe White preaching a message of Jesus fulfilling the father to the fatherless. And I remember I got that, and that was the first place I didn't try to, to harden my heart. That was the first time I didn't try to mask my heart. That was the first time I didn't try to cover it up with a hard exterior or a tough or an angry exterior or a bad attitude or a rebellious spirit or anything. I didn't try to cover it up, but I allowed myself to step into that place of pain and see how Jesus came to heal and restore and fix that brokenness that I had from death. That was the first time I quit tearing my clothes and gave him my heart instead. And I turned my heart over to Jesus. And I remember folding my hands, kneeling on the side of my bed. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I just said, Jesus, I give you my life and I receive you to be the Lord of my life. And it changed everything. It changed 
everything for me. It is really, it's the story of Joel. I was desolate, I was rebellious, I felt destroyed, and then all of a sudden I quit tearing my clothes and I gave him my heart instead and the Holy Spirit filled me and began doing a work in me where I forgave my father, I restored my relationship with my father, I preached my father's funeral. Things I never thought would happen. I had two older brothers that didn't show up. So what's the difference? One healed from the pain and one couldn't. One healed from the pain and two couldn't. Couldn't get past it. Couldn't sit at his funeral. The place of your pain is the place you need to go for healing. That's what's going to begin the day. That's what's going to start the work of transformation in your life. And then on that glorious day, what does it say? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 